0: Well, morning. Um, yeah, for those who are uh, visiting today, thanks for coming and joining us. What you didn't realize probably when you were arriving today, there's a women's retreat is happening right now. Um, so they'll be wrapping up in the next couple of hours and making their way back from, uh, from the coast. So a bunch of energy is missing from the room. We also have a group of young adults that went over for their own sort of pseudo retreat a concert out at Bend, so they're gone, um, so energy is low, and you know how it goes when mommy's gone, no daddies want to bring their kids to church, right, because <laughs> it's just hard work, so the kids are are hiding this morning, and so, uh, so next week will be a lot different, just, uh, I'm not lying. Um, Daniel mentioned the connect card. So yes, you can put Scotty's rock in and you can put it in the little silver box right in between the doors. If you want to say Scott's terrible, there's another silver kind of canister (laughs) on the left-hand side of the doors. Feel free to drop it in there. (laughs) Uh, I tease. Um, Yeah, Uh, yeah. anyway, thanks for being here. Um, As Daniel said, we've been engaged in this thing called the breaking. And partnering with a number of churches all around the city who are coming together to intercede for God to move and break through in the city of Portland and beyond uh, and so yeah this Tuesday night we'd love to see a representation from our church there I'll be there Jack, Daniel, others will be there and um, if you're able to come out to Cathedral Park bring a picnic Uh, The worship will be off the charts. It'll probably be Mikey Dean from Imago Eastside again, who's just a phenomenal musician. Um, And then J.T. Tremaine, who's a Just a really gifted speaker is flying into town um, to share with us that day. So if you can make it Tuesday night, uh, awesome. If you'd like to go and you're thinking, I don't like to drive downtown, um, that's a great thing to put on the connect card. Hey, I'm interested in going to the feast, but I can't get there. Is there any chance I can get a ride? And we'll try and help make that happen. Awesome. Awesome. So we uh, last week launched this series called Arise. So we are in a journey as a church. Uh, Some of you know this. There's a few people in the room that don't, but um, we're in a journey as a church. I started here a year ago, and we're trying to revision what God wants to do in and through this community. And so a lot of what we've done the last year is, is listening and praying and considering what God wants to do. And so we're launching this series called Arise. And as part of this series, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, what is the discipleship vision that God has for us as a community? How do we define that? How do we put the parameters in place so that moving forward, we can step in properly to all the things that God wants us to do, and so yeah, we've got this word up here. This word, arise. I talked about this. If you're uh, interested in kind of getting the framing for this series, I'd encourage you to jump online and listen to last week's message. And um, we've called it arise. We've just come through this series called sent where we're trying to look at the book of Acts and and we understand the, the sent calling that God has placed on the church. And then with this series, we're saying, okay, if God's sending us, we have this obligation to arise and go do the things that God's calling us to do. So we're calling this Arise. Um, And last week, I walked through several ways that the word arise is used in scripture that really highlight the kind of ethos we want to walk in as a church community. So there are these two words in in Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's this word kum, which comes up all the time, all the way through with fun and amazing significance, everything from intercession to calling to healing. Uh, And then when you come into the New New Testament, this word anastemi, which is the word that, that is used for resurrection. It's the command for healing. It's the one that people get up and they just go do the things that God's called them to do. So as we're walking in this series called Arise, we're really trying to capture the elements of what this word means. And then we're going to be answering the question, how do we as a community put the right disciplines and structures and values in place to be able to live these things out fully? So over the coming weeks, we're going to start outlining and unpacking what the core values are that we're going to be walking in as a community and what it looks like to embed those in our lives individually and corporately so we can be more effective at doing what God's called us to do in the city. But before we go there, what I want to do is I want to spend time this morning looking at, uh, it's going to be a passage in Mark chapter 3, um, and, and I'm going to back up first and give a little bit of context to this. But I, I just want to strip us back to the beginning. Um, if this is what we're calling our discipleship process, we've got to take a moment and look at discipleship. And just remind ourselves what this is about. And there's a couple of passages that I think are really key for reminding us. And sometimes opening our eyes to understand the discipleship process a little more fully. So if you've walked with Jesus for a while, I'm hoping this will be a reminder. Um, and I'm hoping there'll be some new stuff in, in here too. But, but we're going to jump in. Um, but I want to start in, in Mark chapter 2. This is verse 13. Uh, At the beginning of the story, as Jesus is walking around doing his ministry, Mark chapter 2 says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, more often referred to as Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. I highlighted the words got up if you're tracking, We've done so far. If I was to say, what is the word behind got up? If we had an alternative translation, what's the word here? It's the word arise. It's the word anastami. So you get this moment at the beginning of the story where God is looking at this man Levi and he offers this invitation come follow me. And the first thing that he does in order to follow is arise. He gets up off his feet and he goes to follow and do the things that, that, that Jesus is asking him to do. So follow me, Jesus told him. Levi arose and then followed him. So as we're talking about this concept of arising, as we're talking about the discipleship process, like in scripture, this is step one. If you go back to the Old Testament, it looks like you know God calls people like Abraham and Isaiah and, and when he appears to them, they go, here I am right? Hanani, here, behold, look at me, I'm here, here I am, is, is the, the call of the patriarch. So that's the response. God calls them. They say, I'm here. But then at some point, Abraham got up, he arose, and he went to Haran. So like it always starts with this step. Are we willing to stand up uh, and move? So, that, so the choice to arise the decision and the heart posture to get up and to go is the only appropriate response to Jesus' invitation, follow me. Um, and so that's why we're naming our discipleship process, Arise. Um, in this season of our church, it's so essential uh, for what we're going to do next. So I want to jump into Mark chapter 3. Uh, and, and we're going to look as Jesus' is calling his 12 disciples. This gives... Some little details that, for me, when you think about the discipleship process, I actually think these details are breathtaking. Um, they, they, they do something to my heart and my inner world when I think about what this is um, and, and what he's doing. So we're, we're gonna look at four things um, that, that are key in this passage. Um, one statement about Jesus' uh, appreciation of us, and then three things that define the way discipleship is supposed to happen. So you see uh, up here in orange, so let me read it. Jesus went up on the mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So you've got this list. Uh, it, it, it's, there's other parts in here where it'll tell us that Jesus actually went up on the mountainside and he stays up all night praying before he makes this decision, trying to make sure that he is making the correct decision and who it is that he's supposed to call. Uh, Some theologians argue that he's actually up all night because he's wrestling with God about whether to call Judas or not, knowing what Judas is going to do, which I think is is really, really interesting. But it says up here in orange, Jesus goes up on the mountainside and he calls to himself those whom he wanted. And so I I just want to start with this. You are are wanted. You are wanted. Jesus, when he called you to follow him, he didn't just randomly decide one day, I'm just going to call this guy, I feel sorry for him. He didn't say, I'm going to call this guy because watch this, I can use any idiot to do the work that that I want to do. Jesus called you because you are wanted. Um, the word here, for wanted, um, has multiple translations. So the word fellow is the word in Greek, but it can mean to want, to will, to wish, to resolve, to determine, to love, to take delight in, and to have pleasure in. So so this is a it's a rich word. So when Jesus was calling the disciples, this just wasn't like let me pick my eighteen. This wasn't him looking out over Israel going, who are the top 12, 11 plus the failure? Who are the top 11 people plus Judas that I can call to make sure the work is done? Jesus is wrestling with God and praying with God to choose the ones that he desires, that he wants to be with, that he wants to love and take delight in and behold. And that's true for us. So again, I've saying this is 101. When you were called to follow Christ, it's because he wants you. Not because what you can do, that's going to be part of it. Uh, Not because of of what you've done in the past, none of that stuff. He just genuinely wants you. Jesus desires you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Uh, he, He wants to call you to be in intimacy with him because of his delight and having made you and knowing what you're capable of. I think, I don't know what it is about the way we function in the Western church. We have a bit of a business mentality to the way we look at church. And we kind of see it as, you know, I've been called for this purpose. And if I'm not doing that purpose, then God doesn't really want me. And if I'm not doing the things he's called me to, he's just going to discard me, right? We have that kind of mentality. God called you because he desires you. That's all there is to it. There's things that are going to flow out of that. But I just wanted to start this morning with that reminder. You are wanted. You are needed. You are desired. And he takes delight in you. Um, He saw something in you uh, before the creation of the world when he was envisioning calling you. He saw something that he wanted. He saw something that he desired and he called to you. And that may actually, of all of Christianity, that may be the hardest thing for us to believe. Sometimes it's easier to believe Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, and that he healed all of these people. It's a lot easier to believe that sometimes than it is to believe that he wants me. That he has deliberately handpicked you out of delight and desire in who you are. So you are wanted. After he talks about Choosing those he wanted, he gives three reasons why. And this is going to explain why he wants you. So let's look at these one at a time. First, the reason he wants you is to be with him. That's what I was just saying. It says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. It was the desire for relationship. It was the desire to live together and rub up against one another. He wanted these people in in our lives. It's like, you know, you don't pick your family, you're just kind of giving them, and you have to oh, deal with that, like it or lump it, right? But when someone chooses you as a friend, there's something really special in that because it's a deliberate choice. If you think about your best friend, like you chose them, and they chose you. They made a choice. There's, it's like, I met all the people in the world. I really like this one. I'm going to keep it, right? That, that's, that's What's happening here, he appointed 12 to be with them. He wanted them. He's choosing to have them in relationship with Him. Uh, And this is it. He called you, first and foremost, primary, to be with Him. Not to go out there and do stuff. Uh, Not so that He can wipe away all your sins. Like, that stuff is all secondary to the primary thing. He chose you to be with Him. And whenever you have a statement like that, you've got to ask the question, how am I doing at being with Him? Like, is that the focus of your life? If he's turned his energy on you for the purpose of drawing you into a relationship with him, how are you doing at just being with him? Are you giving him time? Are your eyes fixed on him? Are you longing for him? Uh, Or is your life consumed by a whole bunch of other stuff that take priority? And all he wants from you is to be with him. Uh, it's primary it's the crux of everything that we do in Christianity the amazing part about this when you're reading the the like pre-Pentecost he calls the disciples to be with him but then for us post-Pentecost it's not just a case of being with them but he pours out his spirit to dwell in us so this is not he didn't just choose you to kind of hang around a little bit he chose you because he saw the potential for you to be a host of his presence and for his transformative power to work inside of you and through you into the world. So you actually host the presence of God inside your very being. That's how much he wants to be with you. He chose to dwell in here. And and I think again with Christianity, especially Western Christianity, but I see all over the world, we have this sort of thing, like I have to go somewhere to find God. Like I'm having a bad day, so I need to go and like get into my prayer space, or I need to go to church on Sunday, or I've got a conference where God's presence is going to be. Uh, His presence is there, like He is in you. He's chosen to inhabit your very being. Um, So He calls us to be with Him. Uh, How are we doing in that? How are you doing at pursuing Him in scriptures? How are you doing? Uh, engaging in prayer how about your thoughts your attitudes your money your time Uh, even your career and the way you're engaging that are you doing those things in a way that is with him or are you doing it in a way that's apart from him Uh, and there's no judgment in this it's an invitation so when he called you to follow him he says i want to be with you life will be much fuller when we can cultivate the rhythms that help us be with him All day, every day. And so part of this process that we're going to walk through over the next couple of months as we're looking at these values, we're going to look at what are key rhythms that we can have in our lives daily and as a community that will help us in the process of being with Him. Uh, Not just in the Christian activity, but in every aspect of every day. So primary, first of all, He calls us to be with Him. Secondary, He calls us to send us out. Uh, We just did however many months uh, walking through Acts to look at this. Um, This concept of being sent out is entirely dependent on the first part of being with him. He wants us to be with him so that he can transform us, so that we know who he is, what he does, what he's like, so that with that stored up inside of us, we can go out into the world and be sent to be his ambassador. Um, he doesn't send us out into the world just to do good works and keep silent. But it's really clear, he sends us out to preach the gospel. Um, I don't know how you feel about your gifts and your abilities. Did you know that you're called to be a preacher? It's not just me. Like, God called you knowing that he could use your mouth to declare his birth, death, and resurrection to the world. Uh, you've got people like Moses God, I'm just a stumbling, bumbling idiot. You can't use me, and God's like, watch me. God can take any stumbling, bumbling, can't speak person and use them to preach the gospel. That's the purpose. He called you, come be with me. See what my life is like. See what it's like to be loved by me. See what happens inside the wholeness that you experience in intimacy with me. See what it's like to watch the things that I do and and, and to be entrusted to do the same things. And once you've grasped all that, I'm going to send you. You know, as a church, we've, we've kind of done a good job of some of the be with me sort of things. We study the Bible and we pray together and we gather and worship. But, you know, we can do all of those things without necessarily being with him. You can pick up the Bible and read it and not encounter the Jesus that's in it. You can open your mouth in prayer and just give a shopping list as if you're talking to an empty room and not actually connect with the Jesus who's listening to your prayers. We can gather in worship and fellowship, and we can do it in in hatred for one another, in bitterness with a bad attitude, and not encounter the Jesus that lies behind it all. so we've done, we've done a good job of putting some rhythms in place that help us be with him. But one of the things we're going to have to work on is, in those rhythms, are we actually connecting and encountering the God that wants to transform our souls? Because that's what's going to send us out into the world. And here's the deal. If you look at your life, if you are not in ascending posture. Now, we have these debates about gifting, you know, like I'm gifted to work in the church and I'm gifted to work outside of the church. So I don't do the evangelism thing. I do the hospitality thing inside, right? And, and, and we have gifts and different leanings and different preferences. But if our posture as Christians is that we're not doing the outward stuff, we're not sharing the gospel, we're not reaching out to people, then the being with him thing is not functioning the way it was intended to function. So we think we're being with jesus we think we have rhythms in place that help us encounter him but if it's not producing an outward action then it's deficient and we've got to analyze and say where's the deficiency in this because it's clear all the way through scripture when god calls and when we encounter him we're propelled outward you've got scriptures like romans 5 5 you know the love of god is poured into our hearts by the holy spirit whom he's given us that's a fact Then you've got Paul saying, I do these things because the love of Christ compels me. Like I can't help it. It's poured into my heart and it sends me out. So if you're one of those people where you're looking at your life and going, I don't do a whole lot of the outward stuff, then we've got to say, where's the deficiency in being with Jesus and how do we correct that? You also have the other side of the spectrum, which is, you know, I do a whole bunch of activism. So I'm out there and I'm working and I'm busy and I'm serving and I'm exhausted and I'm grumpy and I have compassion fatigue and I don't like the people anymore. If we're out there and we're engaging the world and our heart is not growing in its capacity to love, then we're doing that from the wrong place. And usually it means there's a deficiency in being with him because he's supposed to be filling us up and sending us out into the world we're sent to bear his image to continue his work and to invite other people to be with him not to invite other people to church on Sunday although that's often part of of the rhythms that we have in place but we're to go out there and invite people to intimacy with him in their context as they're flipping burgers at McDonald's, as they're being a crossing guard for a school, as they're working in, uh, in corporate America, like they're called to be with him in those environments, and that will rub off of them and transform them. Let me sidestep and just put up a little diagram here um, about how we're sent out into the world. It's another thing that I think in the church we often get wrong. So there are two elements to be sent out. There are good works that we do in the world, and then there is the work that we do and verbally proclaiming the gospel. And some people are like, if you're out there doing good works and you're serving the community, it's meaningless if you didn't call someone to the gospel, present the four steps and lead them to Jesus. And other people that are like, you're out there preaching the gospel, but no one wants to hear it. There's work that you got to do first. So the way God has ordained this is we are called to do good works in the world as believers and the good works prepare the soil to receive the gospel when it's preached so it's why you've got like peter saying um things like like you've always be prepared to give an answer right we have to be ready Uh, we're going to do it with gentleness and respect but he says live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they'll see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us so this call to be out there living the right way serving loving without an agenda we may have an underlying hope that someone will come to but if we're only helping you so that you'll come to faith we're not actually loving the person that's bait and switch right So we go out and we do good works. We love, we serve, we clean up the school, we put bark dust, we we trim the, the yard because we're trying to say as believers we are good people who contribute healthily to society and when you watch us love and serve it opens the door to hear the values that underlie why we do it. And then as we get an opportunity to preach the gospel we preach someone comes to faith, what happens? The love of God is poured into their heart by the Spirit. And then they're compelled by love to go out and do good works. And then as they do good works, it prepares the, the soil for the gospel. Then the gospel is preached and someone comes to faith. And then as they come to faith, they produce good works. And this is the cycle. And, and what we tend to do in the church is we divide these. So on the good works side, that's up there. On the good works side, it's like, oh, that's social justice. We don't do that stuff. That's like the liberal Christians. We're the evangelical Christians that like preach the gospel. And what we end up doing is we have one group that preach the gospel without love and people don't receive it. And we have one group that are serving the city but never preaching the gospel. You see the problem? (laughs) So the people that are doing the work that's earning the right to hear the gospel are not getting to the end result of salvation. And then we're over here desperate for people to come to faith and for the gospel to be proclaimed, but the ground hasn't been tilled. So wouldn't it be amazing if there was like a movement of unity in our city where you get these churches really good at serving we're serving and then these churches that are really good at proclaiming the gospel are partnering with them so that one group is serving and tilling the soil and another group is coming in with the gospel and presenting it wouldn't it be amazing if by rubbing up against each other like that all of the churches got this cycle right so we'd preach the gospel and the good works and we'd see more people in our city come into faith this is what it means to be sent out. It's why we did a couple of weekends ago the bark dust in the school and making it look pretty. It's why we spent the time the next day here. Um, for those who don't know, we have a, a charter school, a public charter school that rents our property. And so we came in and we trimmed all the bushes and I saw Carrie here the other day getting some of the parts that we didn't get all done um, so that we can show the school that we love and care for them and the hopes that relationship will be built that enables us to preach the gospel. I don't have this up on the screen, but Romans 10, uh, Paul is talking to the Roman church and he says, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we're sent out into the world to do good works. We're sent out in the world to preach the gospel. People hear it, they receive it. And the, the workers in the kingdom has multiplied. Not so that we can grow our churches. But so that more people in the world can be invited to be with him. Knowing that in that place of intimate connection with him is where they're going to be transformed. And experience the wholeness that they desire and that they've been created for. On to number three. So we're called to be with him. Or we're sent out. Uh, and then we're sent with authority. The third purpose is to be delegated authority to do work in the world. Um, again, in the church, we've lost sight of the authority that we walk in. We've actually, uh, we've, we've given away, I would say delegated, uh, we've lost a lot of the authority that we have by giving them outside the church to other entities. Uh, we, we've given authority to school systems to educate our kids, and then that allows us as parents to step back and not be involved in their education. Um, there's lots of ways, that and, and schools are awesome. Our kids are in public school, and we want to support that. We see it as a great mission field as well. Um, so that's not railing on the school system, but just we delegate the authority to other people, and, and, and then we don't walk in the authority that we've been given. You know, there are different types of authority that we can walk in in the world. Um, there's positional authority, so you're given a title and a job that gives you authority over a certain group of people, whether you're a principal, a supervisor, a manager, a pastor, whatever it is, there's a position that gives you a certain authority over people. And that's the one that we encounter most often, and it's the one we don't like, especially when we don't like the philosophy or the principles of the person in a position over us, right? Right? And then it's the one that's really hard because when you have positional authority and you have the ability to make change, but the people around you don't want it, then they grind against you and there's a whole bunch of conflict. So positional authority is the one we're most familiar with. It's the one we often respond to and interact with the most, and it's the one that is the least powerful. The next level of of, uh, authority that we can walk in is relational authority. So this is the level of trust built between two people that gives them the right to speak into your life for you the right to speak into their life. So we all know like when you've got a boss who's been given positional authority over you, it's a much nicer experience and you're much more likely to do the things they're calling you to do when you're in friendship with them, when you trust them, when relationship has been built. Um, it's why when you have someone come in, uh, a new boss is brought in from outside, knows nothing about you. You just grind against what they're doing because who's this outsider coming in to tell us what to do? It would be like getting a pastor who he was that comes in from the outside and is like, who is this idiot with a weird accent um, that wears red shoes on a Sunday? <laughs> so... But relational authority is important. It's interesting that in scripture, we're called to love and serve one another and build fellowship in the body for the purpose of supporting one another, encouraging each other's growth, equipping one another and rebuking and challenging one another. Relational authority is really powerful. It's one of the biggest uh, authority systems that does damage in churches. Because if you've got a, a, a leadership, an elder board, and you've got uh, you've got a group of people over here who are the key stakeholders matriarchs patriarchs of the church their relational authority can outweigh the positional authority of the people over here and then we end up undermining what god is trying to do through the appointed leaders of the church and so this is a, a an interesting dynamic when you're bringing positional against relational the most powerful type of authority is spiritual authority and it's the one we don't think about, it's the one we don't talk about, it's the one we don't often walk in in the church in the west. That is, in the world, it is possible to walk in the full power and authority that God has given us in a way that impacts every situation that we walk into. This is a, a spiritual authority that's been delegated to us with the spirit living in us, so no matter where you walk in the world, you bring the power of God into the darkest places. Um, Spiritual authority is heightened by certain things. Steeping in scripture so that you know the truth. The more aligned with God's truth you are, the greater the spiritual authority you wield. Um, The more hours you spend in prayer and intimacy being with Him, the greater the authority you have as you walk in the world because you have an intimate connection with this guy. Uh, the, the, one of the biggest hindrances to our spiritual authority is the presence of sin. So the more we give into sin and brokenness in our life, the more we sabotage the authority that we can walk in. And then on top of all of that, there's a whole bunch of principles in Scripture about the kind of authority we can wield as believers that we don't know well, that we haven't learned, that we haven't been given the skills in to be able to exercise. So here we are as the church wielding the greatest level authority in the world But it's been hijacked, and we've given it away, and it's been sabotaged in favor of uh, uh, positional and relational authority. The most powerful type of authority that you can walk in is all three at once. When you've been given the position that allows you to influence people, when you've built the relationship that enables you to cultivate trust, And then when you're walking so closely with Jesus, that He's hearing and exercising through you into the world. So really, as believers, we want to exercise all three. And Scripture's really clear that we've been given all three. Scripture tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ. We are a royal priesthood. We have been given a position of authority in His kingdom to mediate over the world Uh, to help bring his will to bear and to educate and invite people into the principles of the kingdom of God. So you have been given position in the kingdom of God. Uh, And it's a position that's powerful. And we're called to relationship, to love one another, to, to build a good reputation with outsiders so that we have the relational authority to impact people out there. And then what happens is we allow our politics, and our ideologies, and our theological frameworks to hijack our reputation with outsiders. So that instead of being known as someone that's with God, you're known as someone that's against certain things in the world. Now, it's okay to be against certain things, but if that's the primary way that we're known, it's problematic. So we've got to cultivate through good work, through relationship building, through patient service, the kind of relational authority that allows us to influence people closer to Jesus. And then lastly, we've been given spiritual authority. The Spirit has been poured out into us. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go into the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to be everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So we've been given position. We've been called to relationship. The ultimate relational authority that we have is our intimacy with him. Uh, and and then we're given the tools to walk in spiritual authority in the world. So when I'm saying arise, when I'm saying we're gonna arise in discipleship and we're gonna focus on what discipleship looks like, this is what it's about. It's about understanding that Jesus has called those he desires because he wants intimacy with us. That he's called you for the primary purpose of intimate connection with him. So we've gotta figure out what are the rhythms that increase the amount of intimate connection you have with him all day long so that when you're out walking down the street the trees remind you of him when someone is fighting next to you that it reminds you of him uh, so that we can be with him in all situations so we can be sent out to preach so it's going to be about learning the skills the tools the theology the truths that we need to be effective at taking the gospel to the people around about us and then so that we can have authority it says to drive out demons to drive back the darkness that plagues the people in our lives in our city And so there's some training we need in the authority that we walk in. Uh, There's some skills we need to cultivate and how to stand in prayer against the powers of darkness and drive it back. Um, And this is what it means to arise, right? We're going to arise in the world. We're going to be with them. We're going to be sent out and we're going to take authority and we're going to see things transformed. So starting next week, we're going to start to break down these values uh, and what this is going to look like for us as a church. Um, as we arise into discipleship in the world. So, uh, yeah, let me, let me wrap up there, and, and I'll pray. God, some of this stuff is so basic to our Christianity. Uh, you call us to you. We're called to step up and to go. Uh, it's about intimacy with you, so keep help. To, to increase our intimacy. For some of us, that means we need more self-discipline. For some of us, it means an encounter with your love that makes us long for you. For some of us, we just need you to help with more reminders during the day that you're there and that you're present. God, you call us to be sent out. And we want to send, we wanna be effective with the gospel. So Lord, where we have fear, would you bring faith? God, would you increase our effectiveness? Um, as we share with the people in our lives. God, help us to build good relationships to earn the right to be heard. And I pray that it would be like Peter, you know, people asking us, why do you have such hope? And we would be able to give an answer for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. And then God, we wanna be a church that walks in authority. So help us to get intimate with you. Help us to understand all the resources that are available to us. And then would you help us in all of our weakness and all of our brokenness and all of our failure uh, to wield that authority in a world in a way that leads people into intimacy with you so that this world can be transformed. So thank you that you're moving here. Uh, would you continue to stir in us? In Jesus' name, amen.